Have you been getting the message to be still recently, to slow down, to come into presence, to center yourself? Well, you might be invited by your soul, your higher guidance to being. And today's guest is Simran. She's here to share with us her own journey to understanding what gets in the way of us just simply being. And this is part of her trilogy, Living, Being, and Knowing. Join us to find out more. On this beautiful journey. Before we start this episode, I, Carrie Hummingbird, and I, Akeem Sami, want you to know that you are invited. You're invited to, to join, join Soul Nectar Tribe. Tribe. If you like what you hear on Soul Nectar Show, you will love being in person with us in Soul Nectar Tribe. We invite you to check it out. First 30 days is free. Right now, go to carryhummingbird.com, K-E-R-R-I, hummingbird.com, forward slash membership, and sign up. We'll We'll see see you at our our next next tribe gathering. And now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Soul Nectar Show, that show where we talk about all things essence, where we gather around the campfire and we share our stories of connection to that which is bigger than us, to the great mystery beyond the veil, to those synchronistic moments that lead us inexorably towards a new understanding of ourselves and others on this journey of life as we walk the planet Earth. I'm your host, Carrie Hummingbird, and I love these conversations week after week on Soul Nectar Show. They help to illuminate me. They help to expand my understanding. They create connection with other people also on the journey. And, you know, there's nothing like having community for this kind of journey and the kind of community that doesn't actually expect you to do it their way. So that's a really new paradigm on earth where we can embrace that each of us is having our own understanding, our own direct connection, our own life journey into the mystery, and that all of it is valid all next to each other. So to be able to hold that space and allow everything to be just what it is. And in fact, today we will be talking about being, you know, being is different than thinking how it should be or trying to make it a certain way or efforting a certain direction. And so we're going to hear a lot about being today from our guest, who Simran, who is back to visit us again. Welcome, Simran. Delightful to be with you, Carrie, as always. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yes. And so anyone who's been listening, and maybe this is your first time hearing our podcast. And so let me just share that Simran is a globally recognized speaker and catalyst for love, compassion, and humanity. She's the publisher of 1111 Magazine, a host of 1111 Talk Radio, and a guide for 1111 Interviews TV. And she's also an artist and a poet and a soulful mentor and a mama. So Simran's the author of uh, several multiple award-winning books. And she's releasing a trilogy right now of books called Living, Being, and Knowing. So we we had another interview about the living book. And so you can uh, put a link to that in the show notes. You can check that out. And now today we're talking about being. 
And uh, so excited to have this conversation with you, Simran. Uh, before the show, we were chatting and you were asking me about my recent journey to Peru and what that experience was like. And, you know, I have to say, it is a story of being because I was listening to my guidance. And for the whole month leading up to that retreat, where I normally would have been hiking in the woods and preparing my body and getting really good at altitude and going on ups and downs and hikes and getting my muscles strong, I was told to be, and I was told to be still. And I was told to basically do nothing, like lie still, lie flat. And I'm thinking, my body isn't going to do well with this hike to 16,000 feet on Alcangate being still the entire six weeks leading up to the trip. But in fact, there was a deeper message and a deeper transformation that happened because of my physical challenges from having been so still. So I think you already kind of understand what I, where I'm going with that, Simran, and anybody listening, it's like sometimes following that guidance leads you to a deeper transformation than you could have imagined for yourself. And that's why we we slip into being. So Simran, where do you want to pick up the story? Where do you want to you know, where do you want to launch off into this this big conversation? I'd actually like to to go with what you've just shared uh, in regard to how you were guided to be still before the ascent, the climb, the walk um, that you were to undertake. And I wrote this trilogy to help individuals understand their multidimensional experience and how we navigate life, how things come at us, and what's really taking place within us as we do so. We live in these identities and these personalities and personas. So we think that what we are seeing with our two eyes and what we're hearing with our two ears is really all that's taking place. And that's what's discussed in living. And and I go into the seven blessings of human experience in that book and how we encounter these unorthodox blessings that end up being things like chaos or conflict or challenge or darkness or sometimes even deaths that take place within our life. But to get through that process and to understand the full multidimensional landscape, what I had to do was commit to being still. And I I stayed still for approximately seven, seven and a half years. And so what you were talking about, about being still and then getting the awarenesses as you then encountered the challenge is really in line with what these books are trying to say is you're going through life, you're encountering these challenges But there are these moments that are going to hit your life that if you're willing to really be still, you're not just going to encounter that surface place of being, which is stillness. You're going to encounter all the aspects of being that are always present within your experience. It's not just the persona, identity, personality that is present in this moment. There's an animal you, there's a shadow you, there's a monster you, there's a a demon you. There's a God you, and they're all here simultaneously. It's just your presence is only activated in one of them. So this book is really about helping people understand the seven illusions that derail our personal power, purpose, and peace. And they have everything to do with all the levels and aspects of being that we are unconscious of. Now, I'm imagining that um, that these seven illusions are also ways that we have been conditioned through what the Toltecs call the smoky mirror to think about life in a certain way through a certain lens, which is our personality, our identity. But that we, you know, most of society up until now, the last thousands of years has been constructed 
in such a way as to keep us trapped inside this surface identity understanding, this, this transient persona identity, because that way we're powerless, right? I mean, we don't access these other aspects of ourselves. We we only have the limited amount of power that we can exert in a physical body on a timeline that has, you know, a certain amount of energy. And then that's it. Like you can only do so much in a day. You can only achieve so much from the small self. And, you know, we live lives that are constrained to keep us in that small self. Like even the social media, but bing, 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 bing. And then you're constantly paying attention to that thing. And then, you know, you've got your job and you've got to be there all day long and be productive. And then they're watching over your shoulders, make sure that you're paying attention to the job and all of these things that um, needing, you know, needing the money to begin with, like, I have to do this because I have to feed my family kind of thing. Like, we're just caught in this web of having to do. And then we can't, you know, we have to be courageous to make the choice to be, you know, so I turned off my business for, you know, a month, which for me was a lot because I'm a manifester and I love to move around. And I like to be in the flow and in my hummingbird and here, there and everywhere. And, you know, being in the stillness inside the motion too is also possible. And this was a different call. Like you're saying, this was a call to be very, very still to just be being and not be doing or achieving or trying or even manifesting, even visualizing, even no, stop, just be. Yeah. You know, the illusions that I talk about are those things that we've been conditioned into believing are reality. And they're things like time that you spoke of, money, evolution, war, hierarchy, identity, all of these constructs are really illusions, but they're illusions that trap us. They're illusions that place us on a wheel that we keep running and they're connected to a certain extent. They're not hierarchical. So, you know, if we say, well, I want to break the illusion of time, then all of a sudden our mind goes to, oh my God, what about the money? And then it goes to, oh my goodness, well, if I don't have the money, then I won't be who I am. So then I lose my identity. And then if I lose my identity, then I lose my lose my place in the hierarchy. And then I'm not evolving. I'm not growing. And that's going to create further conflict. So we put ourselves in this kind of loop of thinking that we can't get out of our own trap. And yet we are the ones that's imprisoning ourselves. And so can we look beyond what the illusions are and and where they're stemming from? Because really that place of being still has so much more power. And, And I'm not talking about being still to the point where you just have to stop everything all the time. I'm talking about a state of being that exists at a calm center as a grounded pole anchoring you, rooting you into the ground and into the depths of your humanity, that you then access spirit. But to get there, you have to understand all the being that is driving you in time, in money, to be an identity, to chase hierarchy, to think that you've got to have more, to think that you have to do more. Who are all those beings? Are they really who you are? Or are they animalistic cravings? Are they instincts? Are they the need to survive that is the animal? Or is it the monster? Is it the monster that got developed because someone, you know, laid down the whip of perfectionism and you have to achieve and this drive and ambition that we've bought into that has to be there that creates this hunger inside of us that makes us want to devour or kill or push ahead and forge forward? You know, or is it this idea, this fear, this demonic fear we have inside that we have to get beyond where we're on because we're not good enough? 
that our inner demons are bigger than our higher self. And so we've got to escape these inner demons. And we do that through evolution. We do that through every practice and protocol, every course and every book, every teacher and every path that we can find to try to evolve and be better than who we are. And the worst illusion of all is that of war. It's this outer conflict that gives us reason to have something to fight for. The reason that we have a certain mission that we're on, the reason that we advocate for something, it's to feel significant, to feel like we mattered, to feel like we have meaning. And so when we get caught up in all those lower vibration states of being and the lenses that they're looking through and the feelings that they're having, but we're not conscious of them, then we don't understand why we are exhausted. We don't understand why we keep doing things unconsciously. We don't understand why we keep bumping up against challenge or chaos or discomfort. There's a reason that stuff shows up and it's because the energy inside of us also is emitting that. But when we become aware of that energy, then we can all of a sudden treat ourselves and approach the world in a different way. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Um, you know, the feeling sense I have from what you're saying is something that I have had to learn because I've been one of these that's like, okay, let me escape this because that that was terrible. I don't want to be that anymore. I see it now. I hate that part of myself. I was really depressed and upset at who I'd become through the monster inside of me that started acting out and saying, oh, I'm going to, I'll just be bad then. There's just no way to be good or be perceived as good. Then I'll just be bad. And actually it was so liberating for a while to be in that space. Like, wow, I can just do what I want. You know, <laughs> Too bad if people don't like what I'm doing. Like I can do what I want. And that felt so great for a long time to be in that space. And then the next layer came in, you know, the, less, the next layer of perfectionism, the next layer of, you know, I like to call it the inner narcissist that wants like, I'm just going to be perfect. I'm going to be beyond reproach. It's going to be amazing. And to pursue that, and I've come to this place now of, you know, this, uh, I, I like to find different tools, you know, to move through things. And uh, the tool I'm using now is the gene keys. And I love it because Richard Rudd talks a lot about allow, accept, embrace. That has been huge medicine for me. It's like as simple as that. There's anger. I allow it. I accept it. I embrace it. It has a function. There's even hatred. I allow it. I accept it. I embrace it. It has a function. It's showing me something. It's helping me to know something. That has been really empowering. And it's it's a hard, I think for a lot of people, it's hard to begin there. The seeking process you're talking about is actually necessary at the beginning to feel like if you keep walking this road, it's going to get better. And it does get better. And eventually it loops back around like that serpent eating its own tail. And it's like, okay, can you actually be with the experience you came to have and be with it fully? And it's asking you to. So exactly right. You know, our, our lives have their own intelligence and, and we are where we are because life knows that's where it needs us to be. That's where we will serve best. But if we're constantly trying to escape that place, then we're not serving life others or ourselves. And so many times the things that hurt us, trigger us, have our emotions rise are these external experiences and oftentimes the global experiences, you know, whether it's going through the the pandemic the last two years, whether it's seeing someone abused in another country or in our neighborhood, you know, whether it is 
any acts of violence that we see on television or larger things or things very close to home. Those are the things that get under our skin that we don't want to see, we don't want to feel, we don't want to face. And we certainly don't want to think that we had a part of, that we contributed to. And so this second book, as much as it points to our self-absorption and our self-obsession and our narcissism and all of the lower, denser parts of us, it does so from this place of serving the greater world. Let's look at the bigger picture here while we look at this very teeny tiny self that we have buried within us and see how that self is really the key to serving the world. Can we embrace, like you said, can we allow, can we embrace those parts of us? And I mean, really fall in love with that part of us that hates, that part of us that would commit an act of violence just like anybody else if we really faced it. Like, can we really see those parts of us? Because when we do, then all of a sudden, not only do we have compassion for what's going on in the world, not only do we achieve a sense of neutrality and a place of equanimity where we're not putting energy into the world that's still creating more of that stuff, but all of a sudden we're creating a sense of forgiveness and neutrality and balance within our energy and our nature that then allows that to reflect on the outside. So it really is a journey of self-love and forgiveness, but that journey of self-love and forgiveness of all aspects of ourselves is the very thing that changes the world. And that's how one person can change this world. And that's what we each need to realize is that we all have the power, but we're putting the power outside. It's kind of like if I said to you, Carrie, you've got food in your teeth right there, and you were looking in a mirror, you wouldn't wipe the mirror, right? You wouldn't go try to get the food out of the mirror. You would get the food out of your teeth. Right now, what we're all doing on this planet is we're trying to wipe the mirror, but we're not getting what's inside of us out. We're not doing the depths that we need to dive into that are being reflected by the mirror outside. Yeah, it's actually really accurate. And um, I've been guided to experience some things in the last week that were really surprising for me anyway. Along the same line, there's a lot of resistance to knowing. There's a lot of resistance to witnessing and seeing because as we know, what you see, what you realize is truth you don't ever unrealize. Like, so it's like, once you've made the realization, then you can't go back now. Like, that's why this path only moves forward. When you start to work inside and you do shadow work, you're only moving forward now in the new conversation and having more and more realizations and going deeper and deeper within the self. And it becomes, it comes very uncomfortable to not progress, you know, to not keep open. It becomes uncomfortable to try to turn back. So there's a lot of people who don't want to know and I had an experience, um, now I think I told you about my ancestors and guides have been saying to me for a while now, Carrie, um, we want you to go and talk to the indigenous people. And we want you to go talk to the Christian church. We want you to go in there. And I was like, very resistant because I'm aware of my past life on the trail of tears. I'm aware of that perspective of the Cherokee. I'm aware of the pain of all of that experience. I've gone through it in this lifetime. I revisited it and experienced it. 
which is an experience I know a lot of people may be opening up to have, maybe not a lot of people have had it at this point. It's very intense. It's a very intense experience to remember something like that and to do so from a completely different lifetime in a different body. And it's like trippy. And I still had all these resentments. And I was like, well, I don't really want to go talk to those Christian people. I like it where I'm at. You know, I'm, I like my house. I like the people I talk to. I like my show. I like the people that listen in. I'm not going to do any good someplace where people don't listen. So I was guided to go have breakfast at my favorite restaurant this past week before I went on my pilgrimage up to Cherokee Nation in Oklahoma. And I was guided to go sit at the bar, like the counter. And I was guided to sit next to this woman. And I'm like, Why? it's all of this. And so I sit, I do as, you know, I've learned it's better to just go ahead and listen. <laughs> so I <laughs> sat down and I asked this woman, you know, there's a person in the chair. I said, can I sit here? She says, yes. And within a few minutes, she's involving me in her sermon that she's writing. And she's asking me, well, would the word would be better or could? And it's in reference to what would some figure inside the Bible have said if they saw this or that going on today. And I said, well, if you want to sound certain, then would is the word you would use. But if you want to be more honest, you'd say could, might, may, have, you know, <laughs> and because you don't know that person, you're sort of projecting a lot of things on this other that you've made up by reading this text. And so, of course, I'm immediately confronting this woman, you know, in her deepest beliefs and just by nature of being myself and sharing what I'm seeing, she's uh, confronted and I can feel it because I'm a healer, right? So, so much came up in the space because how do you know it's hers? How do you know it's not yours? And so all of those, I'm practicing all the skills of discernment that I've been using for so long. And I'm just like, <sighs> and I'm just opening and releasing, opening and releasing, opening and releasing, having compassion. She doesn't need to be fixed. Nothing needs to change. And just going deeper and deeper into that. And we actually had a really good conversation during uh, the results of which one key thing, which is why I'm bringing this in, is that she said, she said she was really upset with angry black people. She's an African-American woman. And I said, well, I think black people in the country today have a reason to be feeling upset. You know, if they're feeling their ancestors and what their ancestors have experienced, ouch, that's up in the space for healing. That's up in the space for witnessing and embracing. Like, this is what happened in this country. And this is what happened to our ancestors. And it's happening inside your body because you have ancestral DNA. So feel that. It's okay to feel angry. And she looked at me like I had three heads. And here I am, this white woman, white presenting woman telling her that it's okay to feel angry and hateful. And she's like, uh, no, I don't want anything to do with that. And I was, she said, well, it seems like your ancestors really mean a lot to you. And I said, yeah, they do. And she said, well, what matters to me is Jesus Christ. And I said, well, what about your ancestors? And she said, I don't want to know anything about them. <laughs> I was shocked. I was so surprised and didn't expect that. You know, I didn't expect that outcome. But what I really received from the end of this was that there was so much in the mirror of my reflection with this woman where things that came out of her mouth, I've said before, you know, like, well, people don't change unless you, until they're ready to change or nobody listens until they're ready to listen. And all of these things she was saying, I was like, ah, I've said all those things. I know that's true. And then here she was in the context of this communication with me and I'm feeling into my body and I'm like, I know my truth. I know my, my essence, what my essence is guiding me towards. And I don't presume that you don't know yours. So there was this beautiful, for me anyway, recognition that it's all perfect. Like she's fine just the way she is. 
And we had this conversation and there didn't need to be a fight just because we didn't see it the same way. So it's all that practicing and being right in the smoky mirror and seeing like, where's the conditioning? Why is it that you feel the way you feel? Why is it you think the way you think? And then getting these surprises once in a while, which are really delightful and also like, whoa, I didn't know that could happen. Well, I think that that's really powerful because the truth is we're not here to fix anybody. We're not here to change anything. We're not even here to change the world and try to make it a better place or a more peaceful place. You know, we're here to use these mirrors outside of us to make ourselves better. And in making ourselves better, the byproduct ends up being the ripple that takes place around us. I could see both of your points of view in that particular dialogue. And in my book, Being, I talk about identity. I actually go into a section about story and ancestry and all of you know those places. And if we buy into the identity that we are, then yeah, we're attached to our story. We're attached to our pain. We're attached to all the things that happen to us. But being attached to those stories and that history, we perpetuate it because we teach that oppression to the generations that come after us. And then the generations that come after us hold the same oppression. They hold the same belief systems, the same mindset that they've been held down that they've been hurt. And every civilization on this planet has had that experience. So it's not just African-Americans. It's not just Native Americans. It's it's Jewish people. It's Indian people. It's Chinese people. It's, you know, it's all kinds of people have had oppression. But the more we carry on these stories, the more our children and their children and their children have to carry the burden of the history on their backs. And so they look through those lenses. And what do we do when we look through a wounded lens? We create more wounding. And that's why identity is one of those very illusions. You know, we are here as people and we take on an identity. But if we look at the bigger picture, what's the true identity that we're here to take on? And that would be the divine identity. That would be the one soul. That would be love. If you don't want to even call it an identity, you want to just call it love. Then love can hold those none of those other things in their lower vibrations, they would absorb all of those. And so when I'm asking individuals to look at these illusions or look at these levels of being, what I'm asking you to do is, can you absorb all that back into you? You are the universe. Can you absorb everything that is in your universe and allow it to dissolve back into you to get to a place where there's no one and nothing left? And when you can get to the no one and the nothing, then you have found your true identity. Then time doesn't matter. Money doesn't matter. Hierarchy doesn't matter. There is no conflict, so war can't happen. But to get there, you have to meet all of your obsessions. And so with every illusion, there's a certain obsession that we hold. And it's that obsession that drives that illusion in staying present. Yeah, absolutely. There's no skipping steps. So... Yes, to everything you said, absolutely. And we can't sip, we can't skip the steps. You know, if that's what's being shown to us right now, let's say as a collective, we've been seeing really visibly, we've been showing each other through the mirror of the external experience that there's still happening on the planet this color ladder, right? They we're still seeing that that certain people because of the color of their skin are treated less favorably than other people because of the color of their skin. So we see that that's still happening. So rather than You know, a lot of people I notice want to sort of like just go, well, we're all one and then just kind of like go instantly up. But I found for myself that 
the more true path for me has been to go really deep into those shadows and really feel it. Like my past life coming up for me in this life for healing. That was a very traumatic experience. And to process that fully in this lens from this other identity, right? I'm not even the same identity, but somehow it merged with my identity. I don't know. It's, it's difficult to talk about, but that identity merged with this identity. And I, from this self, I was able to feel that self and really honor and witness the whole experience. And what actually happened for me up in Cherokee this time was that the West came, you know, I'm writing my next book and the West came and the West said, Carrie, let's go over what you did to heal the relationship with your mom. And I was like, okay. So I retraced my steps. And at the end of the day, it was gratitude. It was being grateful for my mom and how she showed up in my life. (laughs) And then I realized I was being invited to apply that same principle to the trail of tears. Oh my goodness. Oh, wow. Okay. Let me be with that. And I could feel like all of these energies moving inside of me, like this really deep transmutation process as I accepted that gratitude. I know gratitude is the answer to transmute and release these energies. And you, if you can't come to gratitude for it, it's not going to transmute. So I was like, okay, how can I be grateful for this? And I realized, oh, somewhere along the line, I set an intention that I wanted to be a peacekeeper, that I wanted to be for peace. I wanted love. I wanted, and in this lifetime, it's, you know, it's like, I, I want to know myself in truth beyond all the things, right? So like you're saying, well, in order to get there, I've got to what? Face the loss of something I love so dear. Face the loss of something that I, to realize that it, I don't lose myself to realize that it doesn't go anywhere. Like it's still there. I can always travel back if I want to experience it in time. I can go anywhere all over time if I want. I, my ancestors were all over the woods for me and they didn't go anywhere. They're still there. And it's like, wow, okay. Even though in the third dimension in this reality, they don't exist, but they still exist. They're all over the place. So it was really profound, like where you're talking about this embodied lesson. And I would say embodied, you know, this embodied reconciliation of this experience and it took me an extra half a lifetime to get there, but that's okay. You know, I feel like whatever time it takes you, it takes you. It's all a continuum. But to realize these intentions set so long ago, like maybe I was some child in some Cherokee tribe going, I really appreciate, I really admire peace, peace chiefs. I want to be one of those. And then it sets in motion all of these life experiences that lead me towards the fulfillment of this greater intention, right? So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. The part you said about feeling, I want to make sure that it's really understood that what I am saying is you have to feel it. Mm. It's coming up that I'm seeing other Black people that are angry and upset, and I don't want to be that. We have to be, we have to feel that. We do have to let it be absorbed and dissolve in our bodies. And only then can we see that bigger picture. It's this interesting paradox of allowing ourselves to be the smallest self and the largest self simultaneously and doing the work to let those two come together and meet. That's the infinity that we're after. And as we move through each of the obsessions and we understand how they're reflecting on a global scale with the things that we are encountering, what we tend to find is that we've fallen down a specific hole, you know, whether it's indifference or apathy or whether it's hate you know, or whether it's revenge, we've fallen down to this very deep core energy that kind of viscerally is activated in us that we have no clue is existing. 
while this other driving intention, like you talk about, is trying to make its way, but this other core visceral experience is happening in our bodies that we can't put words to, but we can feel it, but don't want to feel it. And so the detail is letting ourselves feel it. And so as I move through telling people how to feel all these things and move through these illusions, there are these certain keys that they can step into that allow them to not only absorb what they have been trying to resist, but then create that new way of being that's a higher octave than where they were. We will never get rid of these parts of us that are shadow, animal, monster, or demon. They're they're part of us. They're the other part of the whole. What we are here to do is be present to all of it so that we can feel our wholeness. Because creation or the void, it is the full encompassing allness of everything dark to light. And until we're willing to embrace that about ourselves, we can't really feel our wholeness, much less touch our humanity. Yeah, I love that. I think that the way that I also listened to Paul Selig and his work, channeled work from the guides. And one of the ways that came through in this last uh, thing I was listening to was if you want to go to the upper room, but you say you don't want to bring war with you there, then you will not be understanding what we're saying. <laughs> and so it was more like what you're saying. It's like, as you embody the deepest part of ourselves in the light as um, no longer cast out of the garden, no longer shunned, no longer judged and blamed and ostracized and, you know, like get out of here, negative energy, no more of that. But like, as we embrace that, it's like, oh, that's my pathway through which like these tremendous losses for me on the trail of tears and the culture that I loved, an experience that I absolutely adored, people that I loved and lands that I loved and teachings and all of this that, that opened my heart so greatly. And then to have the loss of all of that. And then so much so that I had to have another whole lifetime, you know, sort of experiencing that. I mean, that's, that's a whole lot of like, I've got to embrace this. It's like, okay, like this loss is for me. This loss is for my evolution. It's to help me somehow. It's to deepen me. It's to expand my capacity. And then in the, like sort of in the, in the clearing house of the West, then the space is opened up for more love to take residence there. But we have to be willing to be moved down the river. And yeah. so sometimes this war and these things, these losses are part of the cycle. Yeah, I have found that grief is one of those portals that catapult you through a wormhole. They really allow you to feel everything and see life in its all of its intricacies. You can literally place your hand through the hologram and see every aspect of yourself and how different things work because grief slows you down in a way that you begin to witness things that you wouldn't normally witness in your normal everyday happy-go-lucky kind of state where you're oblivious to really what's going on. It brings you to a place of deeper presence. And it allows us to be more compassionate. And ultimately, the only way we can feel compassion for another is to stop long enough to say, can I feel what they might be feeling? And if they're in front of me, is that perhaps a feeling inside of myself that I've not accessed yet? So going through this process not only puts you in touch with those emotions, those feelings, those sensations that you might not be conscious of. But it begins to cultivate aspects within you, cultivate aspects of devotion or kindness or compassion or love that would not have been there before. Because there's a level of presence, not just from the eyes and ears that we utilize as physical senses, but from a deeper listening, 
a deeper seeing, a deeper sensing that we have the opportunity to access. But we can't do it if we're constantly moving. We can't do it if we're striving to just be a certain image or try to portray a certain thing. It does really require bringing all of our energy back into our body and being self-centered in a different way, centered so deeply in this self that we're able to see the whole, to be with the whole, because we've been with it within ourselves. Yeah, that's uh, that's roomy. You know, we're not a we're not a drop in the ocean. We are the entire ocean in a drop. And and when we know that, and you know, I was sharing with this Christian woman and the conversation. I pointed to a glass of water and I said, "Hey, that glass of water." The indigenous people say that every person alive, all the ancestors, every animal and plant has drunk that that water that's in that glass right there. That's how connected we all are. And she said, wow, uh, that's really interesting. (laughs) I think I did. But, you know, that's because that's true. And when we change ourselves, this is what came through in the second wave book as well, is that when we work on ourselves and we sort of embody all of the experience that we were witnessing in the outside and we own that on the inside like oh that's also me i've had a lifetime like that i've had a lifetime of war i've been a warrior i've had a lifetime as a king i've had a lifetime as a queen i've had a lifetime as a pauper i've had i've had all of these experiences and i know they're in me because i know what that feels like how would i otherwise know what that feels like inside of me what somebody else is going through if i hadn't gone through it so i think maybe as we embrace all those things and we own that and we say yes to it that's really the thing that lifts the consciousness because our light field is always emitting those photon beams of light of what we've learned and acquired inside of our own, what, we, what we're being basically, what we're being, what we've been transmuted into being. It's, a sta- it's, a, it's embodied. It's an embodied state of being. So whatever you are that's emanating is being received by everything out in the world. And then you can't turn away from anyone. You can't turn yeah. away from something that you see. You can't you know, pretend you didn't experience something. You can't pretend that you're not a part of something happening on the other side of the world. All of a sudden you realize, what if the very sacred activism or service that I can give that stranger, that person that lives thousands upon thousands of miles from me, is simply to stop for a moment and help feel their experience in order to somehow lessen that experience for all of us. Not with the intent to lessen, but the intent to feel it here, to understand. Knowing that in some way, that is the energetic ripple that creates the change in the, in the planet. And that's the power that we all have. You know, we have this essence inside of us. And that's not something that's glorified. It's not something that's going to put your name in lights. It's not something that's going to put you on stage and get you applause. Mm-mm. It is something that's silent and quiet and humble and sitting in your own space and that no one necessarily needs to know about, but is emitting tremendous power. You spoke about Richard Rudd in the Gene Keys earlier, and he talks about what the true meaning of humility is. And the true meaning of humility is not to shrink or pretend that, you know, no, 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 that's not, you don't need to thank That's self-deprecation. Exactly. The true meaning of humility is to understand that I have the force of God inside of me. I have that power. And with that comes great responsibility. And I can sit and be that power without anyone knowing. 
and stand rooted in that to emit the light that I am. And that's the place that we must go. But that seed of light is in the very depths of being. And the very depths of being is the darkness. It's the darkest of the dark. It's why shaman work is so powerful. It's because that is where the true opening of light happens, where we're no longer emitting just artificial lighting. We're emitting true light, the true essence of light. And that's the place to go to then flower into humanity, which is what the third book, Knowing the Seven Human Expressions of Grace, is all about the flowering of humanity. But that only comes when we go through the tunnel of darkness. And so it is this beautiful experience as the journey, as the journey of self through its different permutations and configurations and vibrations that allow us to truly know all that we are and all that everyone else is too. Yeah, on the journey, on the journey, I was actually just kind of noticing as you were speaking and I was looking at those books and I was thinking... You know, I'm seeing a lot of living, right? When I was a young person, I was doing my living. And my sons are now in that age where they're doing the living. They're out there living, you know, living, 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 living. And they go to the parties and, you know, the living, living, get the job, get the education and all the living that's going on. And then I'm in the being. (laughs) I'm in the part where it's like, gosh, like it is. It's that invisible. It's then often not recognized as anything really. And, but it's everything, that presence, that the lens through which I see my sons, the, the love that I hold in my heart for them, the, the prayers that I might say, you know, just for their highest good and not even knowing what that is, you know, just letting go and surrendering anything that I think I know. It's like, that is actually such a huge blessing, but no one really knows that. I'm, I mean, I saying here, I'm doing it, but nobody really knows. I'm My kids don't know I'm doing that. They're just, you know, they're just off in their own lives. And so, yeah, it's very, sometimes I feel in my empty nest, I'm like, gosh, I just disappeared. But actually, there's an opening to something greater. And the knowing part for me feels like the grandma. You know, it feels like, because once you have that that looking back part and you, you've already lived, you've already lived, you've already transitioned, you've already gone through the things, as you're saying, you've acquired it as part of your beingness, right? It's become you. You experienced it. And now you can look back and see everyone else experiencing where they're at and know that they're going to, they're going to get there just fine, whatever that there is, they're having it right now. And life is guiding them just like it guided you. So there's, there's really no struggle, right? There's nothing to fix. Yeah. There's no reason to worry. Everyone's capable. We all have come for our own purpose and our own process. And the only place to really focus our presence and our attention and our energy is with the self. Because in truly knowing the self, then everyone else has the chance to know themselves better. Yeah, that's true. That activates that the true self within. Beautiful, beautiful. Is there anything else you want to share before we um, before we conclude our talk with you today? Uh, the only thing that I would say is that anyone that wants to really dive into the multidimensional experience of living, being, and knowing, really it only is about a few lines or a paragraph that I want individuals to read out of each book each day. It's very dense material in that it will be medicine inside of you. You don't need more than that per day. It's not the typical type of book that you're going to pick up. Uh, It can also be read as an oracle where you just open to each book wherever it is. I think that Living and Being came out earlier because they are preparing you 
for knowing and knowing releases in February of 2023. Okay, good. Well, I'm sure I'll have you back on for that one. So, well, thank you so much, Simran, for sharing all of this with us and for embodying it yourself and going through that that deep inner processing that you went on. Uh, we talked a little bit about Simran's story in the living episode. So you guys can go back and listen to that. I'll put this link in the show notes. And uh, I will encourage everyone to go and look at, at Amazon. You can access the uh, both books. And um, I'll put a link also in the show notes to that. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on, Carrie. It's always beautiful to have a rich conversation with someone that understands mm-hmm. because they've walked the path. <laughs> it's deep work. It's enriching. Enriching is the word I'll leave you guys with today. Enriching. Beautiful. Thanks for being with us, everyone. And I want to thank you all for always staying very near to the end of every broadcast. We have a really good retention rate on the episodes. You guys are listening through like 80% of the episodes, which means that you find this valuable. And that just warms my heart. I'm so grateful that you find this useful information and you stay with us until the end. I'm going to give you kisses now after I encourage you to, since you like this so much, please share it out with some more people and share it with whoever you think might be interested. And here come your kisses, everyone. Would you like to join me, Simran? Sure. Here they come. We love you and we welcome you to Living and Being this week. Bye for now. If you found even one gold nugget in this episode of Soul Nectar Show, will you do us a favor? Will you subscribe, like, and share this episode? Maybe even write a comment and let us know what you thought about it. We really, really want to engage with you at a much deeper level. Let's be part of community together. Have a great week, everyone. Bye for now. To dive in deeper to nourishing conversation, visit soulnectar.show. Soul